Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Morning, church. Isn't it great to worship God together with you guys and, you know, just bring the word today. It's a privilege. My name is Janice. If you don't already know, I want to, well, the staff here at the city. And never in my life uh, would I have thought uh, a couple years ago that, you know, when it's Sunday morning and it's time to, you know, me go to a Sunday service that my kids will say to me, Mommy, see you on TV, you know. Uh, but that's exactly what happened this morning. And in a sense, like, here we are, uh, you know, most of you are at home uh, watching this online, but still, nonetheless, we are one body. Amen. We're one body in Christ and we're worshiping God together and we're looking at his word together. So I hope you've got your Bibles with you ready to jump in uh, as we start the word today. We're in week two. Uh, of the series through the book of First Peter. Uh, if you have been tracking with us, you've been watching, uh, you, last week we had the first, uh, the first week of this series, and today we're going in week two. So before I jump in and, and pray, I'm just going to do a little recap uh, of today, for today, okay, before today. Now, First Peter was written to believers in the Asia Minor region, right, if, if you didn't hear last week, and what we know as Turkey today, right? And so we're studying this book throughout the series because we believe it still speaks to where we are, okay? These were believers that Peter wrote to in a difficult time, scattered all over because of persecution. And, and he wrote to encourage them, instruct them how to live in troubled times, right? In times where it's very unsettling, uh, lots of trials. How do we thrive even in such times? So this speaks definitely to where we are. We find reminders, right? That, that though there are many trials, and even as uh, you know, Christine led us to, to worship and pray just now, just to look to Jesus, right? Together uh, with the songs that we were saying, we're lifting up, we're centering on Jesus, fixing our gaze on him. And that's exactly what Peter was calling the people that he wrote to, to do, right? And this, this hope that, that God's believers have, this living hope right here on earth is not thwarted by any circumstances here on earth, right? And so we see that this hope is not erased because God has given us this inheritance. And it, yet at the same time, it calls us not just to look heavenward, but to live here on earth with a distinct identity as God's people because of the giver of the hope, okay, who is eternal and who therefore governs the way we live. And that's what we're looking at today. And the key component to this and Peter writing to them is not just, hey, you or you and me individually, right? But the key component is us doing it together. So here we are, church, doing this together. And we are not physically together, but we are united by this hope that binds us together. Amen. Even while we are in our homes, in various places, we are a bunch. We are together. To jog your memory from last week, what is the foremost identity that is highlighted in First Peter? Now, let's see whether you get this. You can drop your comments in the live chat right there on YouTube. First is believer. Second, exile. Third, beloved son or daughter. Fourth, silly sheep. Which one is the foremost identity? That is in First Peter. <laughs> Silly sheep. Exile. Now, I you know, hope you guys got that. The answer is exile, yes. Now, <laughs> not silly sheep, even though that's what we are sometimes. 
We are all of these, yes, but the foremost identity in First Peter is exile, right? We, the believers, as exiles. No, exile. Being a person who is temporarily taking up residence in a place that's not their native land, right? Whose hearts still belong to their home country. Exiles would perhaps care for the place, invest in it, invest in relationships, but always longing for their true home. And this is contrasted a little bit with, you know, versus uh, being a tourist. You're passing through, you're curious, with no particular sense of concern or attachment for the place. Or as immigrants who are looking to make the new place their permanent home to amass, you know, uh, uh, perhaps uh, land and property and all that and belongings. Uh, but exiles are those who are clearly your pilgriming, you know, pilgriming, is there such a word? So joining through uh, uh, the place that you are currently living in. Now, our lives of faith as believers is well captured by this analogy, right? As an exile, we are strangers in a land that is not to be all too familiar to us. We are meant to be distinct, not altogether fully enmeshed and assimilated into the culture of the world. We're called out ones, we are chosen ones, uh, in the world but not off, right, as the Bible says. We engage with the world we live in, not to be in our own ghetto, nor do we become just like everybody else, but we engage such that people can still tell we have a different identity, we are of another kingdom. Right, And so our living hope based on the resurrection of Jesus, as we saw last week, that is our eternal inheritance, right? That we know Jesus, that we can become like Jesus, and one day forever we will be with Jesus. That is our eternal inheritance. Now what this gives us is four things that we looked at last week, right? Clarity in life, contrast in our identity and our conduct, comfort as we go through trials, and it calls us as a community to be together and to become together. Now, after all these stuff, all these statements that Peter talked about in the first you know, part that we looked at last week, Peter then now goes into a series of exhortation, right? instructing the people. And he starts off with the word, therefore, in verse 13. Okay? So we're ta talking about today our hope and our way of life. Right? Our hope and our way of life. That's what we're looking at today. So would you read this passage with me? And then I'll kick off with, with a prayer uh, before we jump in. Uh, what we'll do, same as last week, I'll read the first verse and then you read second. Even if, wherever you are, shout out at home uh, and, and then alternate. Okay, verse 13, me first. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. But with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot.
who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, not glory. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you so much that this morning we are reminded uh, that our hope is not just in you. You are our hope. You are our eternal hope. And uh, even as a church, as we gather this morning, uh, let our worship be pleasing to you. And we ask that the meditation of our hearts, even as we look at scripture uh, uh, here right now, uh, uh, be pleasing to you, uh, be honoring. And we uh, look to turn all of our beings towards you and to grow in faith and obedience this morning as a people who live in this world, but not of it. Teach us, tutor us to, to grow inside, uh, to be changed on the outside, to grow in holiness, to grow in reverence, to grow in purity, to grow in, in, in uh, love and devotion towards you uh, that ultimately, truly causes us, enables us to be a blessing to all around us, even this day, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you there? Yes. Now, if you uh, want to track along uh, quickly, real easy, we're going to look at some scriptures today. You can keep your Bibles um, marked or opened up uh, to First Peter, the passage that we just read. Uh, we're mostly using ESV version, uh, just in case you're wondering. Now, the verse 13, as I mentioned, starts with the word therefore, right? And so it gives this uh, uh, basis for all the verses that came before that. So with all the things that we looked at last week, right? Uh, eternal inheritance, the, you know, even in this, uh, for a little while you may go through many trials, da, 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 you can still rejoice, yada, yada. And it goes on to say that this hope that we have, this is our inheritance that cannot be diminished, right? That is kept in heaven for you, yada, yada. So then now Peter says, therefore, for all those reasons, therefore now, this is what we are to do. Okay, this is where Peter is going. So he, it goes, verse 13, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, let me show a picture. Preparing your minds for action really means this. Gird up your loins, okay? I found this picture on, I thought this really interesting, the art of manliness. All right. <laughs> In case the idea of girding up your loins is unfamiliar, okay, to most of us, which I think it is. Now, in the time, uh, biblical times, we'll see these robes that the men wear also, right? So when they are about to get into something that is physically exerting or, you know, go to war or do some, I don't know, work, okay, uh, labor, uh, they gird up their loins, okay, preparing for action. So this is what they do. This is literally a step-by-step -step how you do this. Those of you at home, you can practice uh, with some sarong or something, but, you know, the idea is this, and I love the imagery that it gives because Peter is not here talking about physical. He's talking about how we gird up the loins of our minds for action. But the idea is there. The concept is there. It's like... Um, how we would say, hey, roll up your sleeves, get, you know, let's get working, okay, let's get going. Roll up your sleeves uh, to not be uh, dressed inappropriately for the time that you're about to engage in. And so this is what Peter is saying, uh, prepare your minds for action. Now, oftentimes, we may pay more attention to 
what we do, our actions, or we pay more attention to what we say, what comes out of our mouth, right? But here, Peter starts off with saying, your mind, right? Prepare your mind for action. Don't be lazy about your thoughts, but pay attention to it. Be sober-minded. So it's, it's such that if you read the verse, set your hope has to do with your mind. Setting uh, your hope means preparing your mind for action in order that you may set your hope. In fact, in the whole passage that we're looking at today, 13 to 21, the one single strongest imperative is set your hope, right? Therefore, set your hope fully. That's what Peter is saying. Uh, and, and preparing your mind for action, being sober-minded is part of how we do that, how we set our hope, not partially, but fully, not uh, 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 half-heartedly, but fully, fully on the grace that will be brought to you, the grace that we will receive when Christ returns, right? That grace that in the past has brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light, that grace that at present comforts us in our trials, this same grace that is going to come at the revelation of Jesus when he returns, this same grace that will uh, uh, then see us be in glory with God forever, this grace will be brought to you when Jesus returns, right? At the revelation of Jesus. And so being sober-minded here, uh, what would that mean? Now, it's only mentioned, the word sober-minded, six times in the New Testament. Half of that is in 1 Peter. And 1 Peter will see this in two more verses. The end of all things is at hand, Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So this is with regard to prayer. And then here is with regard to your adversary, the devil that prowls around like a roaring lion. Be sober-minded, be watchful, be vigilant. You know, some of us are, are parents or, you know, teachers, educators, uh, youth leaders, like we jumped into a Zoom session uh, recently talking about how we can help our kids uh, grow in digital defense. Right, I love that term. Uh, uh, you know, this is not something that in my time growing up I had to be concerned about. But here now, as parents of uh, kids who grew up with gadgets, devices all over, how do we grow in digital defense, right? And so in, in that sense, I, I was reminded of that when I looked at this is as much as we want to be vigilant in our parenting, vigilant in our own, you know, uh, whatever we do in our words, our relationships, our, our growth, our, um, uh, in our career, in our relationships, all those things. Here Peter is saying, be sober-minded when it comes to prayer, when it comes to our spiritual battle, Gird up your loins. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Uh, because we need to not be careless. Because the devil is like a roaring lion, ever ready to pounce. Right? And that is the picture Peter is giving here in the sense that, hey, do you know you need to gird up your loins, be ready for action in the spiritual sense at all times? You have this hope that is eternal, but you need to set your hope fully on that. And how you do that is make sure that you are mentally always ready and vigilant. Be watchful. And he goes on to say, set your hope fully on this grace brought to you. And this hope is not merely one to persevere until, you know, I just need to last until the end, you know. But it is a hope 
to progress even in our Christian life right here on earth. It is not merely uh, you know, trusting in Jesus, making it to heaven, but it's more than that. It is one that should impact our lives here and now, right here on earth. And it is a hope that is to the end, right? That's why it says brought to you at the revelation. And it is a hope that is total. It is exclusive, fully on this grace, on the revelation of Jesus, on the fruition, on the full uh, redemption and the kingdom of God. This is what the hope is. This, this set your hope fully is not a, a, a light uh, imperative. It is the main one in the whole passage. What Peter is saying is, you need to know this. Above everything that I'm saying in this passage, in the next few verses, set your hope fully. Set your gaze fully on this. And know that this hope is what you need, not just at the end of your life, but right now in the here and now. How you live and your approach and your posture, and it is to be total. And I'll explain a little more as we go on. And what will happen at the revelation of Jesus? So we know that our inheritance is ultimately we will be with him in glory forever, right? That we will enjoy the inheritance that we didn't work for. We didn't uh, earn this grace. It is grace. It's unmerited favor. It is uh, to be in perfect relationship with God and his people, right? Ultimately, that's what our hope is. We're looking forward to. It is to enjoy this ultimate joy of being and doing just as you were made to be, right? Exactly that. To serve and worship God with no hindrance of sin. Isn't that amazing? No tears, no more pain, no more grief, no more sin. To know as you are known, right? That is our hope. And we set our hope fully on this. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And this is why we talk about how in 1 Peter, our living hope calls us to have a contrast in who we are and how we live. Contrast in our identity and contact, uh, conduct. Verse 14 is uh, very close to a verse that we're familiar with in Romans 12. Verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies at the living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. It says that do not be conformed, same word, to the patterns of this world, right? But be transformed by the renewal of your minds. Preparing your minds for action. Same idea. And so, Paul and Peter are saying, do not be conformed to the passions of this world, to your former lusts, to your former ignorance. And we know many things, even as we come to Jesus, as we grow in him and become more like him, we need to unlearn and relearn, right? A lot of things that we are used to or our you know, default mode and just the way that we cope with things. Uh, God is constantly calling us to be renewed in our minds so that we can be transformed from inside out. Verse 15 goes, but as he called, he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Right? Holy. What does that mean? Let's look at the word holy. And it really is based on verse 16. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. What Peter is quoting here is from Leviticus. Right? It's a Levitical command. You see this repeated oftentimes, at least five times here that I listed. It's a Levitical command to the people of Israel because God 
is holy. He calls his people to be holy, to imitate him, to be as he is, right? To be set apart, to be um, consecrated, right? Or another word of looking at the word holy is to be wholly perfect, like half whole, as a whole. To be fully, wholly perfect, right? To be holy. Because he is good, God, he is holy. Because he is righteous, because he is full of mercy, because he's compassionate, because he is loving, of his loving kindness, all these things, he is holy. There is none like him. There is none holy like God. And so we see this in Exodus 19.6, where God says very clearly, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God is talking to the people of Israel. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 7, 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. His elect people. Out of all the people on the face of the earth, God has chosen you. And that's what these two verses are saying. If you look at 1 Peter 2, 9, that is the exact same idea that Peter wanted to capture. We know that verse where you are a chosen people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, right? And it says that once you were not a people of mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once you were not a people of God, but now you have. Which suggests to us clearly that Peter was not just writing to the Jews. He is writing to many Gentile believers in this book as well. Because once you were not a people, but now you have become part of this. You have entered and become shared in this covenant of God. And so God is saying that you are to be my people and my people are to be holy. So that holiness tells people that we have this identity as God's people. And that's why he says, for you, be holy for I'm holy. And God goes on to say, for you are a holy people. I have called you, I've chosen you, and you are to be holy. Why am I uh, 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 repeating this? Because I want you to grasp this before we go on the rest of the verses. You see, if you look at 13, 14, 15, okay, Peter is, interestingly, touching on how we are to, uh, how it involves our minds, what we think, or how we think. And then verse 14, our passions, our lusts, our desires, our feelings, okay? All these things. Verse 15, to be holy in all your conduct. So it is our minds, our passions, our conduct, all your conduct. So you see that there is a, in what we think, what we feel, what we desire or lust after, and what how we act in all your conduct, holiness in all of this, all the entirety. You are to be holy, God is saying. And Peter is reminding these exiles, be holy because God is holy. Now, oftentimes I know the word holy, we're thinking, oh, you know, don't really like that word. You know, it gives this picture of like stuffy people and, you know, very serious and just, you know, no fun. grim, like this, lah. yeah, you know, holy. <laughs> oh, we know that that's not true. And that's not the idea of holiness. I mean, I, I, I love humor. I love having fun. Uh, I love laughing myself silly, even when other people don't get why. But the, the point is that being holy is an, a reflection of being like God, being a, a 
being a reflection and imaging what God is to us, who God is, for He is holy. So I desire to be holy. All of my former passions, all of my former conduct, my thoughts are to be renewed and transformed because now I am a different person. Because now this hope that I have received ought to change my whole way of life. Right? And that's what it is. And just because we're in relationship with God and we say, you know, God is not about, it's not just about religion or whatever. It's about relationship with God. And we can take it to the other extreme as though there are definitely totally no rules, uh, no boundaries whatsoever. You know, license to sin, license to do whatever. I have freedom and, you know, God's grace can cover over all things. Uh, you know, I'm not perfect. Uh, we still sin, but, you know, hey, you know, it's all right, you know. God is my bro. Uh, it's, not, it's not just that. It's saying you, God is holy. Do you get it? And Peter is saying that, no, no, no. You, you need to know how serious this is. Set your hope fully on this. God who called you is holy in the most intimate of relationships, even between humans, in marriage. Think about this. In marriage, your husband and wife, are you going to say, you know, oh, I have a relationship with you. It doesn't matter how I, how I, I am with other people. Our relationship still stands. I just need to be partially faithful. I just need to be partially you know, committed. It's all right, you know. There are no rules how I relate to other people. We love each other, right? No. In relationship, it is because God wants to be intimate with us. We need to recognize that God is so holy, and yet He wants to be intimate with us. He wants to commune with His people. And that's why in Leviticus, you see that this need to kind of, you know, that, uh, demarcate this very sacred space, right? The place of worship, and there is the holy of holies. It's not because God is a frigid and rigid God. It's because He longs so much to commune, and even as humans, where there is so much unholiness in our hearts, in our, all of our lives, still God desires so much to be with His people and set His people apart that the sacred space in Leviticus is not meant to just be rules, it's because of relationship. That space for worship is because it is a huge expression of God wanting to self-disclose and, 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 and come and be and tabernacle with his people because of communion, because of intimacy. God wants us to approach him. Because he is holy, we are to be holy so that we can enjoy this intimacy with him. Do you get it? This sacred space is our whole life. And God is calling us to be his holy people because of relationship. He loves to be with us. He loves to commune with us. And holiness is really nothing less than conformity to God's character. And because he is holy, we are to be holy. Are you with me? Now, question. What does being holy mean for you right now? Right? You don't have to text your answers. Just something you, know, you can share with the person you're sitting next to. If you're sitting next to somebody, or not. You can just think uh, about this and just take a moment to think about it. What does being holy mean for you right now in your life? In Titus chapter 2, these verses, it captures exactly what Peter is saying. 
For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Verse 17. Peter goes on to say, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So this morning what we've looked at is, one, set your hope fully, right, on the grace. Second, be holy. And the third here is, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Interesting, right? That he pivots now to talk about how God is Father who judges. And so there I see the idea of relationship, right? And interesting, remember in verse 14 he says, as obedient children. So he is appealing to that same uh, idea is as children. Now, if you call on him as Father, right, who judges, there is relationship there. Right? And it goes on to say, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. God is not partial, but he's going to be personal in terms of his judging. There is going to be personal accountability to God, who is our Father, who judges. He's impartial, but it's going to be personal. Right? It's going to be based on each one's deeds. And it says there the notion of time. Throughout the time of your exile, there is a time frame. It is on your exile during this period of time. So in bearing in mind the relationship, bearing in mind that God is impartial and personal, bearing in mind that there is a time frame for exile, conduct yourselves with fear. And this fear is the beginning of wisdom. And this fear is not foreign to us. We see in Philippians 2 and Matthew 10. Uh, it says here to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In Matthew 10, Jesus is speaking here, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This idea of fear, and we've talked about it uh, some many sermons ago, is, is reverence for God, reverence towards him, a respect that is heavy. There is a weight in our respect and our reverence towards him. Now, I want to pull us to this idea as I was thinking through this verse is that I noticed that there is something that perhaps some of us would, hey, you know, that's something to think about in my life. Now there is a correlation between hope and fear. What do I mean by that? Next slide. Not this. <laughs> there is a correlation between the hope we experience and the reverence we have for God. What do I mean? Now, from an empty way of life, God has redeemed us, right? To a life that is full of hope, that which we can set our hope on fully, right? From that way of life, and that's why it says here in verse 18, you were ransomed from the feudal ways that you inherited, right? But no longer, you've been redeemed. And so from that empty way of life, 
and as First Peter 2, 9 says, that God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, right? Then, then we must recognize two truths about this fear in verse 17 to 19. It's one, that our Father's judgment is something to reckon with. We must bear in mind that our reverence is because we have a relationship with a Father who cares for us, who is good, and who disciplines us not as illegitimate children, but as his true sons and daughters. Second truth, that there is a high cost that came because to, to, in order to ransom us from our old way of life. How? The precious blood of Jesus. That's the high cost. And knowing this, therefore, we conduct ourselves with fear. And this fear is not a cowering, intimidating fear, but it is a fear that truly just causes to truly put, bring our whole weight under the sovereignty of God to recognize He is our Father, He is the source of all hope, He is the one, the only one to whom we will account all of our lives to, and who can enable us to live out this hope that he has given because it is only he who could pay that price of redemption for us. Now we recognize our need for God and to the extent that we recognize this hope that God has given to us, that is the extent of our reverence for him. If we gradually or allow ourselves to not set our hope fully on this grace, then our reverence for God wanes and diminishes, doesn't it? But there is a correlation because if I recognize truly what a hope I have, now even in the midst of all the trials and the heaviness and, and the griefs that we experience or witness or are part of in this life, even in all that, in as much as we experience our hope that is living, that is beyond this world, that we can say, yes, I have a living hope, we have a living hope, let's persevere and let's continue to set our hope on Him to that extent we will lead our lives in a way that truly reflects this hope. And that is with reverence for Him. He is holy, therefore we are to be holy. And the verses goes on to say, knowing you were ransomed from the feudal ways, right? Inherited from your forefathers. Now we were redeemed from emptiness to fullness with the precious blood of Jesus as our Passover lamb. And how are we to conduct ourselves with fear if we do not set our hope fully on him? The beautiful thing is, verse 20, where Peter goes on to tell us, Jesus, as our Savior, he was not an afterthought. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but only made manifest in the last times for the sake of us. Jesus was foreknown. He was always part of the plan. 
God had always had in mind to ransom us with the blood of his precious son, the precious blood of Jesus for our sins so that we can live a life that is distinct in this world, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of the world. And so we who are believers, we have faith and hope in God. We set our hope fully. We are to be holy and we are to conduct ourselves in fear of him. Now, Peter, I'll close in a uh, couple minutes. Peter understood how easy it is to fall into temptation, right? Remember, we talked about who this Peter is. He understood what it's like to give in to fear, fear of men, distractions, you know, denial of our faith. He knows how easy it is to fall away to be unhappy with circumstances. And this morning as you're hearing this, are you in any way unhappy with your life? You know, you're not satisfied, you feel even, yeah, I hear about you talking about this hope, Janice, but yeah, but you know, what about this? If only this can be this way, then I'll be happy. If only, uh, if only I'm not single, if only I'm not married, if only I'm richer, or if only whatever, you know, if only this works out, then I'll be happy. Then you're putting your hope in that. But Peter is saying, no, no, press into the hope. Set your hope fully on knowing Jesus, on becoming like him in the holiness of God. And set your hope fully on knowing him and being with him in the last day. Set your hope fully on that. Don't be characterized by a desire for this world. Don't be characterized by fear of men. Don't be characterized by, uh, you know, conduct that is indistinct from, from the world. But set your hope fully. Set your hope fully on that and understand that you can rejoice because of this hope. Romans 8.28 tells us, and we're often very familiar with this verse. When we find it. Romans 8.28. Oh, wait, it's not on the slide. I'm sorry. Let me read it to you. Romans chapter 8. We know that verse, but I want to look at verse 29 also. Verse, uh, Romans 8.28, we are very familiar with, and we know for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And it sounds all great. And then, but we must remember verse 29. It says there, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. It's not just all things will work out for our good, but that we are to be conformed ultimately. That our life here on earth as exiles is not meant for our happiness. It's meant for us to reflect Him in all of our lives. Holiness in the whole way of life. So that we are driven out of a center of our hope in Jesus. Right? And that is what Peter is saying as well. A.W. Tozer says this, Holiness as taught in the scriptures is not based on knowledge on our part. Rather, it is based upon the resurrected Christ indwelling us and changing us into his likeness. You know, this is painful. I'm remembering many of you, you're going through hard places. You've, you, you're bearing tough burdens, 
And here we read this verse, nothing to do with any of our part, but simply based on the resurrected Christ indwelling us and us being changed into the likeness of Christ. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it takes effort on our part. But God is the one that is shaping us. And that is our hope. And as exiles, this notion of being called and having an inheritance that is eternal is super significant. There is nothing on this earth that should be more of comfort to us. As exiles, we are you know, a people who ought not to have comfort or control or power that resides in this world. All our comfort and our control and power lies in Jesus. All of it. And it's not easy. But we are not called to an easy life, but a holy life. Isn't that right? That's what we're hearing today. And so Jeff Bridges, last one, and then we'll end. I found this to be another reminder I know that some of you need to hear. Because he says, so we see that God has made provision for our holiness. Right? Through Christ, he has delivered us so that we can now resist sin. But the responsibility for resisting is ours. God does not do that for us to confuse the potential for resisting which God provided with the responsibility for resisting which is ours is to court disaster in our pursuit of holiness. Our call as God's people, we depend fully on the Holy Spirit. That's why he's called Holy Spirit. He's holy. Right? God is holy. And so this morning as we end, would you turn your gaze uh, you know, inward towards God's spirit who is holy. God is holy. And this morning he reminds us to be a holy people, not depending on our own holiness, but on him. Wherever you are in your Christian life, this morning I appeal to you as Peter has been. Set your hope fully on Jesus. To the extent that you experience this hope, you know all the more He is the only hope you have and you can have in this world. To that extent, may your lives be lived fully for his glory, out of a reverence for him. Wherever you are in your Christian life, would you respond to God this morning? Bring your life before him and say, Holy Spirit, would you help me to pursue holiness? Would you help me to run after the things of your kingdom? Would you help me to turn away from my former way of life to pursue you in all of my life, in the way that I think, in the way that I act, my conduct, in my inner man. All of this help me to run after you. That all of my desires and my longings are towards you. And as you do that, you will find God's Spirit enables and empowers you to follow Him.
And some of you have been struggling with certain sins and you have kind of given up actually of breaking out of that cycle. And some of you, you've tried, you kind of like, you know, seems like I keep, uh, you know, coming back. I just can't seem to break out of this pattern, whether it's in negative thinking or in, uh, you know, a, a habit that you have, whatever it is. But this morning, Holy Spirit says, I'm here. And God doesn't give a command, you know, be holy and not enable you. And so this morning, turn, set your hope fully on Him. See Jesus for who He is and let His Spirit enable you to conduct yourself with fear. And so Father, if that's you this morning and you say, I want to respond, I want to, you know, my whole way of life to be shaped by this hope that I have. And so I want to live holy. And that's you. You say, I want to live holy because of this hope that I have in Jesus. Would you lift up your hand and just begin to pray with your own words and just begin to respond to God and say, yes, that's me. And this is how God, I'm hearing you speak to me. Tell him what he's stirring within your heart, a desire for his holiness to be, you know, the, the, the shape being force of your life and the way you live tell him with your own words and begin respond to him in faith right where you are just lift up your hands and lift up your words and present your heart to him and say yes Jesus yes Jesus I want to live for you I will lean on your power and depend on you Holy Spirit so that I can live my life my whole way of life under your power Holy Spirit that's right I'll give you half a minute more just to respond on your own right where you are tell God the desire of your heart for him yes not in our own strength we're not focusing on our own ability Holy Spirit, we thank you that you enable, that you call us to be holy, and you empower us to be so. We thank you for your living water inside of us that enables us to follow you and pursue you. We say yes, we desire to live different because of you. We desire to live after your pursuit, your values, and all that you're shaping us to be as your people. In this time, in this nation, in this land, God, all the more you're calling a holy people who are once not a people, but now a people who once did not receive mercy, but now we have. And so because of that hope that we have in you, and because of that inheritance we have that is not of this world, but is an eternal and, and immortal one that is imperishable, that is undefilable, that is kept in heaven for us, that cannot fade. And because of that hope that we have in you, therefore we choose to place our hope fully on you, not partially, not half-heartedly, not, not anyway human but God we set our hope fully on you on the grace that you have promised on your promises and because of the promises we have therefore we choose to say here's our lives here we are here are our hearts God and we say God that we are a people that belong to you teach us to be hope bearers in a world without hope teach us to impart life and speak hope God right into the deadened places of this land right where there needs to be resurrection life in the spirit we speak oh god your hope your life into the 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 the, the 
this landscape, God, of hopelessness and desolation. And God, let your life rule over us and, and push us forth not to be insular, but to be a blessing to others who need hope. And Lord, teach us to live our whole way of life for you. And with that, God, may our worship be pleasing. May our words be pleasing to you. We say thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.